On today's show, we'll be talking about some surprising closures like P.F. Chang's in Bellevue and Beauty Winery, fun upcoming events like the Walla Walla's annual restaurant month, and the use of insects in your diet. Plus, we have Eric Anderson of Samara as our special guest. You'll hear it all on the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, this is Ethan Stoll. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to our February show, number 2202. I'm Connie Adams, senior editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining, who hey. I believe has an announcement to make. I do. I have a special announcement to make. Um, uh, this show marks the beginning of our eighth year of doing this podcast. Wow. Of doing this netcast, of doing this show. And uh, I would just like to say that... Uh, we have done a, a, a good job of having responsible journalism throughout the seven years that we've done this show. Yeah. We haven't thrown out any wild ideas. Neil Young never quit broadcasting <laughs> his music on any of the platforms that we're on. And we're on a lot of platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on TuneIn. I we're thought it on was Spotify he went off on. Yeah. Oh, okay. It is. Okay. But he didn't stop. Letting them play his music because of our show. Oh, yeah. It wasn't see. us. It wasn't us. Now, of course, we don't get a million dollars every episode either, but uh, regardless. And, and, and we're not exclusive to Spotify because, you know, as, as many times as they've tried, I just – the money wasn't right and I said, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to have a talk after this show. So we're on Apple, and we're on all the little podcast feeds out there, and, and I, I like it that way. I, I mean, it'd be nice to have a million bucks now and then, but, you know, what the heck. We so are going to have to talk. So here we are, moving <laughs> into our eighth year. That's incredible. That's really – and I will say that I remember when you brought this idea to me, and I said – it is just one more thing to do. Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> so, you know, again, I was wrong. But um, amazing. And, you know, when you look back on, on the guests we've had, we've had wonderful guests on the show, all, you know, local people who are involved in beverage and food. And it's been a really great learning experience and really fun to meet everybody. And Yeah. It's been nice. And it's kind of like, you, you know, you really don't get the breadth of guests that we have. Uh, anywhere else because we we don't just do Seattle. We we had guests on from Vancouver, BC, wine country, BC. We've had guests on from Walla Walla and down in Oregon, and yeah. it's a nice rounded out show. I like it. Yeah. I think I'll keep listening. Yeah, we're trying to bring good stuff to you. <laughs> wow, eight years—that's cool. I love it. Well, having said that. Here's my monthly discussion item for today, because I've seen this come through a couple times in my email, and it's kind of interesting. I haven't looked deeply into it, so I don't know all the things, but there's a new kind of restaurant food delivery company that started in 2020. It's called Club Feast, and their basic idea is that 
people have to plan out their orders and pay for them ahead of time. So you might look at your week and say, you know, I've got a heck of a day, Tuesday and Thursday, I'm not going to cook, I'm not going to do that, let's just set this up now. Um, Doing this saves 40% on restaurant delivery costs because they can organize orders and optimize delivery routes using a proprietary algorithm. And they partner with restaurants to help expand their customer base without charging unreasonable fees. So the restaurants keep 100% of the price of the meal. Um, Plus, the restaurants can better plan ahead for what they need because they know what's coming. They reduce supply cost and waste. There are some fees involved, and that's what I don't really know how much it costs the user or the well, restaurant. So, or what. Yeah, so, so the user's going to pay all the delivery fees because the restaurants are getting 100% yeah. of, the, of what they're supposed to get, so, but, which I think is fine. Yeah, but it's also supposed to be 40% less on the delivery because people can plan it out. The yeah. company plans it out. You're not having people zigzagging all over town you know, because orders are coming in as they, as they do. So, I mean, I guess I'm thinking that in some ways it sounds great. The pre-prepped or cooked meals, um, companies that do this, you know, you get those on a monthly basis or a weekly, same kind of thing. But I think you do have to have a pretty consistent schedule. Because I know just one time we were at an event when our booth was next to one of those uh, delivery things where they right. prep all your food. So I said I'd do it to try it out. And there was confusion. I said I didn't want it on a certain day, and they sent it on a certain day. Um, they sent more than I thought I was getting. Uh, you know, it was just like we just took it over to friends and cooked all of it all at once Yeah. and split up the leftovers. It, was, it didn't work for me. I don't know that my schedule is typical. You know, people who work Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 or something, this could be really good for them. Um, I was thinking – it may be a good deal for someone who's just single and doesn't do much yeah. other than just wake up and go to work and come home. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like to cook. And it might be a good thing for families if if they don't have crazy schedules all over the place. Mm-hmm. Kids but, in sports and Yeah. And I I'm sure it's it, yeah, it's kind of the kind of thing where you probably get to review it at the beginning of the week and change out what you, you know, change a day or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, my concern was, what are we going to do if they take a bunch of people order one week and go out of business, and then they got everybody's money? Yeah, that I don't know about that. And you have to, you can cancel an order if it's within the window, and I'm not sure what the window is. I, I think it's like 24 hours or something. Hmm. So if if you did it, and then you know uh, something happened, and a family member got sick, and you had to go out of town, you know, you can cancel, but. That stuff doesn't happen on a schedule. You know, you can't always. Yeah, or what, if, time. what if the restaurant is not got that food available that night? Yeah, or what if. Um, and you already pre-ordered it five days ago. Yeah. <coughs> I don't know. It's a hard thing. Because I don't like substitutions. Mm-mm. You know, I, I tried to order some duck, dry duck food for my cat. He didn't eat chicken. And they delivered chicken. I was like, yeah. okay, I'm not buying through that one anymore. Yeah. I tell you, and when I'm just going to say this for all of those of you who don't know Tom. Don't mess with his cat. Don't mess with my cat's diet. <laughs> I do enough of that myself. I don't know. I'm still heartbroken. You know, he won't eat the scrambled eggs and the apples and the bacon I gave him this morning. He just won't go for it. And I I'm just know. going to tell you, for those of you who don't know Tom, he is serious. He did put bacon and egg and apple on his 
on his cat's plate. I did. I thought I try it was every once in a while, you know, try to get him into new food. Yeah, get him going. I didn't put any salt and pepper or that, you know, sometimes I make the scrambled eggs with the ketchup and the mustard. Oh, yeah. didn't do that. Just <laughs> hope not. Plain old scrambled eggs. <laughs> and he's like, get it out of here. <laughs> Speaking of diet, I would like you to riff on about crickets and grasshoppers. Well, we talked on the show probably two years ago about um, having bugs being used as a protein option in the diet. And and then we didn't talk about it for two years. And I then I the other day I watched a show about it, and uh, I was intrigued. So I ordered up a bag of crickets and grasshoppers <laughs> and... Didn't get the roaches, didn't get the scorpion, but uh, found a friend who was willing to give a go at it with me. You weren't. No. I think my response two years ago and this time is the same. Ew. Yeah. I wanted to start with a cricket because they're small and they should probably be eaten anyways. So uh, <laughs> I did and it, was, and it all went fine. And then my friend had a grasshopper and... He was still alive 30 minutes later, so then I popped a grasshopper, too. And uh, it wasn't that bad. And, you know, if I just ripped these guys along with some almond flour and made my cookies, I don't think you'd ever know they were in there. Uh, They do have, you know, different sort of taste on the palate. Mm -hmm. Uh, The crickets, I think, they're kind of nutty and... uh, the grasshoppers have I forget what it was that they is their is their signature, you know. But it tastes like chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Probably tastes like snake. So uh so I had fun experimenting with it. I still have the rest of the bag of them here. I don't think I really want to pop them individually. I just want to kind of put them into some cookies and stuff, yeah. and, and, and that should be fine. You know, I wonder if you could even, if you were going to make your own pie crust or something. Yeah, exactly. If you could put it in something like that. Oh, I bet they'd smell kind of funky when they're baking. Uh, mm-hmm. And I bought the freeze-dried ones. I don't want to buy the ones that are cooked in oil. Oh. Because they might be cooking them in some jive oil like canola, which is no good for you. Uh, I don't know what temperature they're cooking them in. So yeah. I just got the dehydrated one. So that's basically it's the pure, raw, dehydrated insect. Yeah. Well, why don't you give one of those to your cat? Yeah. Well, I've seen them try to eat, you know, little bugs that fly in. Yeah. And those are alive. Yeah. So... He might like that. The heck with that bacon and egg and apple, for heaven's sake. Now, we have a little uh, rant on pastrami in Seattle right now. Yeah, I've been trying to find some good pastrami, and uh, I just haven't been able to. And I've tried um, the one down in Fremont, whose name escapes me. We used to get pastrami at Roxy's. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, recently I went down there and the quality of the pastrami was way no good. Yeah, I think we talked about this on a show a couple months ago after, you, after you'd been there. Yeah. Because ironically, I don't know why I say ironically, but the one we liked best is the one at Homegrown. And we talked about that. Yeah, and I would go back and get that one again. Yeah. Um, so recently an article came up in the uh, – in the big paper, <laughs> and they were talking about Kenji Alt said that uh, Zilberstein's 
over in Pinehurst had the best pastrami in Seattle. So I had to go investigate. And uh, I'm here to tell you, I wasn't impressed. Hmm. I think the homegrown is better than that. And um, and the sandwich, by the time the tax went on, and I think I paid a little bit of a tip, was $24 for a pastrami sandwich. Yeah, that doesn't seem... Everything's going up, but... Uh... And, and like it had a pickle with it, and the pickle was had been... It was it was over and out about a week before that, you know. It was oh, it was yeah. way gone time wise. Hmm. So because uh, they were getting good, good. Maybe it was Kenji again, but they were saying their bagels are really good too. Now you're not a bagel eater. I'm not I a am, bagel but, eater. Yeah. I just don't eat like that. There's nothing. There's no value in a bagel. It just tastes good. I guess so, but it's full of just – it's nothing but carbohydrates mm-hmm. and, and salt. and. You know, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. <coughs> uh, years and years ago, I mean, this has been 20-some years ago, I, I worked somewhat near a, a bagel shop. And so at lunch, I'd use my time to walk there and get an everything bagel with cream cheese on it. And right. I would have different kind of cream cheese flavors and stuff. And you could always get them. Uh, people didn't eat them, the everything bagel. And now, everywhere Everybody you go, wants them. You can't, they're always the ones that are sold they're out. The sold sesames out first, are piled up, yeah. yeah. So I guess, again, that Seattle dining started it all. <laughs> so. That's yeah. us, boy. <laughs> Leading the charge on everything bagels when Tom won't even eat them. <laughs> yeah. So you went to uh, Chopsticks in Edmonds. I Tell did. us about your adventure. This is one of those places that I've driven by a number of times, generally with you. And you're not a huge Chinese food fan, and you and you are skeptical of most Chinese places. So um, I was in the area, and I thought, hey, I'm going to go today. And you know what? I actually kind of liked it. I had the mushu pork, and it came with a soup, which I had um, hot and sour, which was fine. And it had a couple of fried wontons on it, and then they gave you the sweet kind of chili sauce to dip into. Um, it was, you know... It's not so good that I would drive from my place to go there for lunch, you know. But if I'm in the area, I would go again and try it. Mm-hmm. And it it's one of those places, a bit like the rickshaw. Um, trying to think of what other places are like this that they have a real uh, community backing. There are people who go there all the time. You could tell most of the people who were there were getting their usual stuff. Mm. And there was one woman there who turned to talk to another guy at another table that she didn't know. But she said, you know, I used to go someplace else, but I don't live very close to there. And now I found my new place. So it's one of those places that draws people in like yeah. that. So, and I might try a, it one day. Yeah. They have a bar in there, and that's what I think might be more like the rickshaw. Well, I always I say to you, you know, when you talk about going to some Chinese restaurant in a strip mall somewhere, I always say, well, let me know how it goes because I don't want to be the first one to try it. Exactly. So, so now you say it's okay, and you know what, what I think of, of most Chinese food. Yeah, you would. You would. Uh, I've only been once. I only so had the mushu. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'll give yeah. it a shot. Yeah, I would say it's worth going. And remember, it's the it's the Lunar New Year right now. So yeah. may, get something with tiger in it because it's the the year of the tiger. It is the year of the tiger. So go but, into the bar and ask for a tiger's milk. Yeah. But don't eat tiger. That's bad. Oh, yeah. I guess most of them are kind of on the instinct list, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, you, you don't want to be messing with that. I don't know what they smell like when they're cooking, but they could be stinky. <laughs> so have you been eating out? Have you? Uh, well, I just told you about my 
Jewish delicatessen yes, journey. Yes, so we'll move on to okay. uh, what have we been cooking at home? And uh, you haven't been cooking anything. At I have home. Been, not been cooking anything. I was <clears throat> laying low for a while, and I I just had stuff in the refrigerator and the cupboard, so I was just making stuff up. So it wasn't like I actually cooked anything. You know, I would make. I had some pasta. I'd throw some butter and garlic on it. You know, it wasn't anything. So I really didn't try any big recipes. Well, I had a nine-day case of food poisoning. Yeah, that was ugly. Nobody ever wants to have that. It started out, I went for six days, and then I had a pretty good day, and then I had a relapse on day eight, and I wasn't normal again until the end of day nine. So it was a day nine, it was a nine-day event, and it wasn't pleasant. But you know, every cloud has a silver lining. And during those nine days, I did a lot of research on what to eat and what not to eat and how to make some foods and came up with some really good stuff. And we'll be publishing some of that in the future. Uh, Not because it's something you would eat when you have food poisoning, but it's actually things that you can make at home that are simple to make. And we don't think about it. So one of the things that I made... Uh, was a combination of apples, blueberries, uh, some yogurt, and some oatmeal, kind of like a parfait. But the magic was that I added in some of my sweet spice, which is a spice that I make. Uh, uh, It's equal parts of cinnamon, turmeric, cardamom, and ginger. And I put a little quarter teaspoon of that in and a shot of... Peach-infused balsamic, mm-hmm. white balsamic. And I ripped that all in the little handy-dandy food processor. And, man, was it good. You know, you I had it at your house, and it was – I really liked it. And then we were just recently in L.A. at your son's house, and you made it for everybody. And, and I thought it was – there was way too much spice in it. And you were thinking that that was simply because it was really fresh. Yeah, the cardamom I got was yeah. so fresh that even though it was in a sealed package, you could smell it yeah. in the spice, you know, in the kitchen. So the the first day you made it for me, <coughs> I it was a bit much, and then when I made it one day, I just put an eighth of a teaspoon in mine, mm-hmm. and that worked fine. Yeah, because well, just, also those those four spices combined are very good for you. So that's yes. it's kind of like getting your medicine too. Exactly, and good medicine. But, man, you combine those with that white peach balsamic, kaboom, mm. you get a burst of flavor. It was really good. Uh, another thing I made was a scallop dish, and uh, and there again I was getting into sort of the purees, and I made it with a carrot puree. That was delicious. That was quite good. And then I did a um, – I got this one off from Kaiser. It was a uh, chickpea salad over a bed of spinach. And actually they had their recipe was to do it as a wrap, correct? Yeah, but I didn't want the carbs yeah. the carbs out of the out of the tortilla, wrap. so yeah. I skipped that and just put it on a bed of spinach and it yeah. was quite good. It was good. I had some of that too. That was good. Yeah. All right. Uh let's breeze through the wine. Okay, just quickly we did we tried a twenty nineteen Castle Rock Chardonnay from Columbia Valley. Bevmo had it at one time for two for fourteen ninety eight, screaming deal. 
Um, Tom thought it was fruity and fine for a daily drinking wine. I thought it had some sort of a bite to it, but it was okay, you know, for the price. Um, the 2019 K-Vine Kirkland Chardonnay at Costco was $9.99. Um, Tom calls it Sister Golden Hair Surprise, next to color appearance in our notebook. Um, <laughs> he might have had too much of it at that point. In any case, it's made by Charles Smith, who we just always like his wines. We do. Um, Tom got some apricot from it, and he liked it. I liked it. We've never found it again at Costco. I think it's very popular. Last time I was there, I asked, and he goes, oh, I thought we, oh, you know what? I think we're out. So I'm not sure. So uh, apparently, we're not the only ones who like it. Yeah, so I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm not at Costco very often, so I don't know how often they get it or go through it or what. So. If you see the K-Vine products at Costco, try them. Just get them. And then we tried a 2018 Unlikely Path from Chateau Saint-Michel. Um, Tom found it light with a so-so aroma bouquet, and I thought it was good sipping wine, kind of buttery but still a little crisp. And I'd get it again because it was pretty good for an inexpensive wine, although I don't recall what we paid for it. So yeah. those are the three we are talking about this month. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to do Run Through the News Bites. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... The Canyon River Grill, located in the heart of Yakima Canyon. Experience Chef Kevin Davis's meticulously crafted and delicious cuisine alongside the Yakima River. Extend your stay in overnight in one of the Canyon River Ranch's exquisite suites. Visit the website at canyonrivergrill.com for hours and reservations. Hi, I'm Carly from Tacoma. When you're visiting Tacoma, I recommend going to Fujia for sushi. Hi, this is Chef Bill Raniger from Duke's Chatterhouse, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. You got Tom, the publisher, here together with Connie, the senior editor. And we're going to jump into the news bites. What's going on out there? Hey, a number of things, um, including Valentine's Day. But uh, let's start with Bartoglio at 822 First Avenue in Seattle. They're now open for lunch and happy hour, Tuesday through Saturday. Lunch 12 to 3, happy hour 3 to 5. I like this idea. They have mini martinis. So Happy Hour has a food menu, dollars off some beers, and a and $21 house wine carafes. So kind of fun if you're downtown. Uh, f- at Can fire. you get the mini martinis during lunch? Any, oh, yeah. Anytime you want, I think. Hope you don't have to have a mini martini check when you get back to the office. You know how it used to be if you couldn't even go back to the office unless you'd had three major martinis. Now it's like, have you had a mini martini? At Fire and Vine Hospitality, the longtime employee Cooper Mills, he's been there since 2007, has been promoted to president and is leading daily operations for all El Gaucho, Aqua, and Heirloom day-to-day operations. Chad McKay is focusing on creating new opportunities for the company, so I think we can... Watch for things happening with them. Well, we know they'll be opening up a Walla Walla Steak Company in uh, Woodenville. Woodenville, yeah. Yeah, that's been we've been talking about that for a while. 
Nina Beauty has closed Beauty Winery and is pondering on what her new path will be. Winemaker Chris Dowsett is now production winemaker at Dusted Valley, and uh, he's assisted by Paul Bone as cellar master. Paul was also at Beauty. And uh, Chris also has Dowsett Family Winery, so he's, he's plenty busy. And thank you to Nina all the years that she supported us on Cooking with Class. Yeah, she would donate wine for that. That was nice. Dusted Valley has opened a tasting room in Edmonds at 201 Main Street. It has an indoor space, a covered and heated patio, roll-up door. They are serving their wines, local beers, and small bites, and it opens daily at 11. We'll have to go try that one day. We're going to have to try that because we love Dusted Valley. They're yeah. great people, and it's good wine. LeCoin's Chef Counter, which we have done before, the tasting menu, is now available Tuesday through Thursday at their eating bar. The cost is $105 with seasonal menus. You do have to book through Talk as a prepaid reservation. And they're at 4201 Fremont Avenue North. We haven't been there for about two years. Well, you know, yeah, there was closures and yeah. and they came by. And then they um, closed only for like a week or so for a remodel, a refresh. And one of the chefs was going to go open up a place up in Monroe. I don't know if he ever did or not. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. But you know what? I One of the things I like about them, because I've talked to Josh Delgado, the chef, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if somebody owns that with him or not, but um, they take care of themselves. So they will close. They they closed after um, after the holidays, after December, after huh, New Year's. Good idea. For like a week. And yeah. just let everybody recover. They have closed, you know, they just take care of themselves. I like that. Neighborhood Grills has brought back their Friday prime rib nights. So $27.95 for 10-ounce um, prime rib plus garlic mashed potatoes and sautéed vegetables. And they're doing it at all three locations, Green Lake, East Lake, and Lake Forest. We were talking about this. I, they used to have more, so they may have closed some. Yeah, looks like they either closed a few things down. You checked the website, and you didn't see any of the Just, other ones there Yeah, anymore. there used to be something in Bremerton. And we went someplace, maybe it was Maple Valley. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I'm, they must be gone. Yeah, they just didn't tell us. Oh, yeah. well. And that actually brings me to a bunch of closures. Cafe Petaroso will close on February 7th. The Lodge Sports Grill in Greenwood has closed. I went out on their website, and it looks like Muckle Teal, Mill Creek, and West Seattle remain open, and they've, they've brought back brunch. So I was going to say, it seems to me at the, at the peak of their number of locations, they had like seven. Now they're getting down to like four or three. Yeah, yeah, there was one right down, down, downtown Seattle. And I think and there I was one in that. Tacoma or somewhere in the South Sound. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I know there's... <laughs> There's a lot of money hanging out there. I remember that they were growing so fast yeah. that they had to uh, constantly be looking for the next shot of cash. Yeah. Don't know. Wild Rover Irish Public House closed in Kirkland. What That's a, a heartbreaker. Yeah, huh? I knew you were going to cry. I knew you were going to cry. <laughs> and then Aviva Wood-Fired Pizza in Edmonds and Seattle closed both those locations. The P.F. Chang's in Bellevue closed. That seemed to be about a lease. And they so didn't. the Aviva, it looked like they were doing a remodel in there? Well, they, yeah. The first time I noticed it, they already had uh, plastic up over all their windows and uh-huh. stuff's going on. So I think something that's on top of Queen Anne. Something's going in there. Something's going in. Okay. I'll, I'll have to swing by. I'll walk down that way and see if they've got any signs up. Uh, the Sugar Factory at the Bravern in Bellevue closed. And um, 
Let's see. Anthony's Restaurant. This came in today. Anthony's Restaurants has bought Boathouse 19 at the Tacoma Narrows Marina. Uh, it was opened in 2012 by Dennis and Katie Driscoll. These are the people who just sold their lobster shop to E3 Restaurant mm. Group. So that was kind of the hubbub at the time they sold the lobster shop was, what's going to happen to Boathouse 19? So now the story comes out. And tell us about Charcoal and Edmonds. You know what? I think I accidentally left that on before. We talked about this last month. I think I didn't delete it. Well, for anybody who didn't listen last month, there's a new (laughs) bistro called Charcoal. Yeah, in Edmonds. In Edmonds. All right. Well, you want want to take a little break and come back and do the calendar? Let's do that. We'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Dock and Drink, a unique lodge-themed heated and tented outdoor space along Lake Washington's southern end with stunning views of the lake, Olympic Mountains, and downtown Seattle skyline. This casual dockside restaurant changes throughout the year to take advantage of favorite seasonal ingredients in their bites, small shareables, flatbreads, and desserts. Creatively handcrafted cocktails, local beer and wine, and zero-proof mocktails complete your visit. Dock and Drink is located on the dock at the Hyatt Regency Lake Washington in Renton. Find them online at dockanddrink.com. Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm just now moving here to Washington in Tumwater, and I'm looking forward to finding the best restaurants that Seattle has to offer. Hi, this is Chris. I'm from Panther Creek Cellars. We're located in Dundee, Oregon, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show for February. We are heading into the calendar portion of things. Remember that you can always check out what we've got because we only put a portion of things up. So we update throughout the month, and you can always find something new. What does Tom Marin, publisher of Seattle Dining, have to offer here? A couple of things going on in Walla Walla. Uh, first off is the 11th annual Walla Walla Restaurant Month is happening in February. You'll find pre-fee menu offerings from $19 to $39, wine tasting specials. Uh, Food ranges from fine dining and wineries to casual fare and breweries. There's more than 30 restaurants participating this year. I didn't even know there was... Businesses, not just restaurants. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I didn't know there was 30 restaurants in one. There probably are. Um... So so you can check it out at the wallawalla.org website. And in addition to the restaurant month, I think what sort of lit this all up years ago and it's still going on is the February is for foodies. Yeah. And that's going on over at the college. So lots to do in Walla Walla in February if you want to make the journey over the past. We've made the – February for foodies thing a couple times, but it was when it was all through town, and it was very fun. And but that originally started up at the at the community college. Oh, did it? Yeah, and then it and then they spread it into town, and then they, they split it back apart again for some reason. I yeah. don't know why. Hmm, I don't know, but it was very fun to do. And uh, 
you know, the the businesses include hotels. You might get good deals on hotel rooms, and, and it's very fun. So, And I think both times we did it, we, of course, it's February. We had our heavy jackets, and most of the time we carried them. It was sunny and, you know, 60 degrees or something. I remember that one time it was snowing so bad up in Snoqualmie Pass, we went the long way yep. around and all drove down I-5 and through Hood River and out that toward Pendleton. Mm-hmm. And it's like a seven-hour trip to get to Walla Walla, so but watch your the, weather. Isn't the journey part of the fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Until February 6th, the Bassa Restaurant on Bainbridge is celebrating Lunar New Year with special celebratory dishes on the menu. February 6th, they'll have a traditional lion dance at 1.30 in front of the restaurant, and the Bassa team will hand out red envelopes that symbolize good wishes and luck for the new year. So that should be fun. Can you bring your tiger, or you have to leave your tiger at home? I think as long as they're on a leash. Should be okay. Yeah. yeah, probably retractable best. Well, it's a cat, though. You don't have to put a cat on a leash. Well, just in your neighborhood. <laughs> we just saw a cat walk down the alley with its owner. So funny. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a whole bunch of Valentine's Day celebrations, and there's more on our calendar. This is just a small sampling. There's a lot. Starting with Ivers is doing both takeout meals as well as dine-in meals from Acres of Clams, Salmon House, and the Mukilteo landing locations. If you're doing takeout, you must order before February 9th. The a la carte, there's a la carte you can do for the dine-in, and that'll be available not just on the 14th, but February 11th through the 14th. Uh, Lola is offering specials from the 11th through the 14th. Handmade spinach feta dumplings, Mm -hmm. rose petal harissa, tomato and mint. That's 22 bucks. Uh, We got seafood tagine with scallops and clams. That's 45 bucks. Uh, Stacy's semi-fredo passion fruit sauce or semi-fredo with a passion fruit sauce. 15, and lots of beverage specials for two as well, and even a Greek wine flight, because that's really what you want for Valentine's Day. Well, at Lola. At Lola, yeah. Like, I I, I guess there's some Retzina in there. No, I don't think so. Tell us what's going on with Ethan Stoll restaurants. Most of them are offering four courses for $85, also from the 11th to the 14th. Market is only doing this on the 14th, um, not the weekend. And the Victor Tavern is doing three courses for 65 Goldfinch Tavern is doing four courses for 115 with an optional $55 wine pairing. There's also a special at the ESR pop-up at Bramling Cross. So you got lots of options with them. Yeah. Uh, there's a Singles Awareness Day. Taking place on 212 at Taku from 9 p.m. to close includes a DJ, special chocolate cocktail, and activity. See, you might be able to hook up with somebody there, and then you'll have a Valentine's evening date. Then, then you would actually have to – they'd ask you to leave because, you know, it's Singles Awareness Day. and yeah. You can't be – you'd have to hook up and promise to talk later. Yeah. Uh, tickets are available at takuseattle.com. 
And on the 14th, Taku will offer a special Taku for two with garage, two sides, and a dessert for $50. Yeah, I guess you could, you know, kind of hook up on the 12th and then come back on the 14th as a couple. Say, hey, babe, you want some fried chicken with me (laughs) on the 14th? I know that worked for me when we met. For those of you who don't know what garage is, it's an excellent form of fried chicken that's done in a sort of a Asian style. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The Hotel Sorrento is offering the Be My Valentine no. drag tea. Palantine. Palantine. Like Be My Palantine. Huh. Uh, that'll be on 2.13 with seatings at 1 and 4 p.m. It's going to be a $76 fixed menu. You can make glitter cards filled, glitter-filled cards like in grade school, but you can do it while you're enjoying your cocktails. There's also live music and performances by your favorite drag queens, Louis Laviano and Rowan Ruthless. What a name, Rowan Ruthless. That's my favorite drag queens, I can tell you that. <laughs> What's going on at the Waters Table? Waters Table is doing a Table for Two event on the 14th. It's a four-course dinner, 90 per person. It has it includes charcuterie, a choice of salad, choice of entree, short rib, shrimp, and scallop scampi, roast chicken breast or cauliflower steak, and chocolate pot de creme for dessert. So as you can see, lots going on on Valentine's Day, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Check into the calendar, seattledining.com, and click on the calendar link to find out more. Yeah, they're, they're piling in on us. Tell us about Nordo and Archipelago. Nordo and Archipelago, I think, uh, Chef Aaron Verzosa, are bringing a fine dining Philippine experience to Dragon Mama, which is a show, a performance, and which is now open, and Dragon Lady, which starts on the 11th of February. And normally, Nordo does this thing where you can dine while the show's going on. This is dinner served before the performance. Performance-only tickets are $50. Dinner is 60 starts at 60 and then up in case whatever you want to drink and stuff like that yeah so should be interesting so bring your dragon lady to dragon mama or something <laughs> like that i don't know all right march 12th this is a little bit down the road but we're going to tell you this so you can plan ahead uh the 11th annual bellevue bourbon bash at daniel's broiler in bellevue so don't go to the uh don't go to don't go down to the water in Leshai yeah. downtown. Uh, it's going to be one hundred ninety five dollars per person plus tax and grat. But you do get a commemorative tasting glass. That's worth one hundred ninety five. I don't know if I have room for any more of those. <laughs> uh, heavy appetizers. Largest collections of bourbon and rye whiskey on the West Coast. There's going to be more than 100 of those. And we bring it up because the VIP tickets are already sold out, so you can't even get those. But uh, you may still want to go, so check in. Um, Let's do a little break, and then we have a special guest coming up with a lovely little restaurant down in the Sunset Hill district of Seattle. 
Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, I'm Scott McLean from Walla Walla, Washington. One of my favorite places to eat in Seattle is the Wild Ginger Restaurant. Hi, this is Erin Lyman. I own Champion Wine Cellars, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I am Tom Aaron, the publisher. I'm here with the lovely Connie Adams, the front of the house, the senior editor. Not too senior. And all things in between. <laughs> and we have a special guest who has a restaurant out at Sunset Hill. Connie, tell us who's in the studio with us today. We have with us chef and owner Eric Anderson from Samara. And you opened this in 2019, right? Yeah, we opened uh, January 30th of 2019, so we just had our third anniversary. What a perfect date, huh? (laughs) Oh, I guess 2020 was the bad one. Yeah. Well, March, March 15th. So you had had a year to get it going before everything fell out. But yeah, we were just hitting our stride, really. January was... January was very busy for us, and then February, you could see the decline, and and we went home. March 15th. Yeah. (laughs) Then we went to go... <laughs> uh, well, originally you are from Chicago. How how did you end up out here? Yeah, I lived um, just in the Chicago suburbs until I was 22. Um, so born and raised in Illinois, yeah. and I moved to Portland to go to the culinary school ah. in '98. Uh, my friends had been out to snowboard, and they're like, "Portland's a cool city." <laughs> And uh, we went out and visited and saw mountains for the first time in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah, off, uh, off I went. And yeah. So I was there for uh, almost 13 years. Oh, gosh. Uh, I ran a couple of, like a, a little cafe called B-Saws for a few years. And then I worked for Greg Higgins, which was uh, oh, yeah. really changed my whole career path. Mm-hmm. He's pretty impressive. I've only met him once. Yeah, super knowledgeable, very skilled, and doing all of the things that I didn't even realize were important as far as uh, purchasing seasonal local produce and really working within the rhythm of the seasons and how important uh, the ingredients are. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Once you know that, it's like, how did I not know that? Yeah. But, you know. Well, I've been reading, uh, you know, Thomas Keller's cookbook, um, the original French Laundry book had come out, oh, and he okay. introduces all of his purveyors then, which was a, a pretty new yeah. uh, part of a cookbook at that time. And so that was kind of the beginning of people yeah. looking at ingredients and thinking where they're coming from and how mm-hmm. they're raised and what they taste like. Yeah, yeah. But, but who the woman in um, Alice's restaurant... Uh, uh, Waters. Waters, Alice Waters. Mm-hmm. She was before then, wasn't she, or was she after then? She was. Uh, she opened in the seventies. Yeah. Um, you know, inspired by her trips to France, but you know that was a single 
operator, and she had, you know, a lot of chefs have come out of there, mm-hmm. Paul, oh, Paul yeah. Bertoli, and yeah. Um, but I guess for whatever reason, it didn't connect with me as strongly as it yeah. did in that book. Well, probably an age <clears throat> thing too, you know. Yeah, it's just the time when I was learning those things. I was in my twenties and just, you know, yeah, having a my good college quote unquote experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you mentioned, it mentions, at least on your website, about the um, restaurant being inspired by the bistronomy of Paris. What does that mean? Uh, so, uh, in 2004, a food writer in Paris coined that term oh. um, in a response to seeing these restaurants that have been opened by Michelin star sous chefs or um, cooks mm-hmm. that are offering uh, essentially medium to like high price point, high quality food. Uh, in a setting that's sophisticated but not formal. Oh, okay. So you're getting the the aspects of fine dining without sort of the, the stuffiness. Yeah, the frustrations of it. Or so you can come in and make noise at the restaurant and still have feel fine about yeah <laughs> having no. a good time with your table. <laughs> no one's getting kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about this just a second ago, but you do have a an ecological. Uh, awareness because you do sustainable seafood there and the local vegetables. So you, you've just talked about how, how that's come about. But you also offer biodynamic bio-dyna- wines as well. Is that all part of that? Yeah, we're looking for people that are also trying to be good stewards and trying to do their part to, um, you know, protect us and keep the earth yeah. <laughs> here for us. <laughs> yeah, in a healthier uh, or trying to get it back to a healthier yeah. spot. So we're looking for people that aren't working with any of the pesticides and yeah. are you know, at least making the efforts to yeah. do that. It's a little bit hard to understand how people sort of don't do that because it's not – we certainly want to save the planet, but we're saving ourselves too. I mean, you're going to have a much better life if you're healthy and not eating pesticides and you know, you're going to be in a better place. Yeah, it's – it's a frustrating situation in a lot of ways because when you look at food waste, uh, I just read an article recently that 30% of the food, uh, particularly meats, uh, raised in this country are wasted. Oh, they're, they're, they're wasted at the retail level and they're wasted uh, also at home. Uh, and restaurants can be extremely wasteful places also, the amount of plastic wrap you would use. Uh, so it's important that we're doing as much as we can to offset yeah. that and support. Yeah. And you can do, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, but there's just some things you can't control either in terms of waste of how much food you have or if you don't have enough all the time, you're always running out, people won't come and, you know. Yeah, we try to be careful with that and that's part of buying, um, you know, all of our proteins come in fresh. So we're able to process them and then freeze them as needed without a loss at the other end. We're not, oh, that's great. We're not thawing something, preparing it and refreezing it. Yeah. That way. Oh, okay. That's good to know. So, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> well, talking about wines, you seem to have a lot of French and Italian wines and then the Willamette Valley, which is interesting. Well, yeah, we're looking for, you know, again, those biodynamic mm-hmm. or natural or um, low intervention. Mm-hmm. And just the amount of choices available from Washington, uh, Oregon, California are significantly lower than you see yeah. internationally. Have they just been doing it a lot longer, or is it just a natural process for, for them? They don't use the kind of pesticides we do. I'm not sure exactly how uh, they've come to those decisions. I imagine it's 
of both mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Here, you know, the point in sometimes is to produce a lot of something. Yeah. And so you need to use those chemicals to do that. Yeah. I've noticed that, um, well, it's closed now, but Vif was doing a lot of those wine, uh, natural wines. And Paragon, Paragon up on Queen Anne is selling a lot of natural wines. And then the people who bought um, the bakery on Queen Anne, that's now, I think it's Moonrise Bakery now, they're selling natural wow. wines. So I'm wondering if, that's, if people are really getting on the bandwagon here. Uh, I think so. Uh, just at the end of our building, Molly's Bottle Shop is opened, and that's their uh, entire repertoire is oh, natural really? wines. Oh, yeah, they do a great business down there. Oh, good. Must be. Um, it, it takes a while sometimes. And yeah. Then all of a sudden. I think it's turning very slowly. You know, you're still going to see all of the. Oh yeah. The, the classics. But there is enough interest now that, that we're selling it easily. We're even selling a rosé pet nat oh, yeah. that we had two years. It had been on the menu two years ago, and people weren't interested. Oh, interesting. We were in Walla Walla in October and talking to one winery that was doing that, too. And they um, would have let us taste it, but they were completely sold out. Wow. So, yeah. So... It is interesting. Yeah, maybe tastes are changing and people are thinking a little more about those things. And yeah. It's all for the best. And, you know, I mean, there's always a generational thing. Certainly. Uh, people who start to drink, if they start to drink when it's normal to have natural wines and things like that, that's what they do. I think the wine industry is about 10 or 15 years behind the food industry in terms of you know, we, we can we can use natural on anything that we want, so that doesn't really count. But uh, in terms of getting to a biodynamic level, they're just starting to we're just starting to see it happen. And there's been very very few USDA certified organic wines come on the market. Hopefully, this will just keep moving in the right direction, and we will see that catch up to the food industry. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. yeah, and that's a good point that natural wines doesn't necessarily designate anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a... Just like with food. Right. Yeah. And it's still confusing to people because you see it and you think it's a good thing. We talked a little bit, uh, obviously, about local uh, vegetables and stuff, but you work with a lot of local purveyors. Are these people you've kind of connected with since you opened the restaurant, or has it been a long process of everywhere you've worked, you've... You've connected with people like this? Yeah, when I transitioned uh, to Seattle from Portland, uh, I started at Palace Kitchen with oh, Tom yeah. Douglas. And we worked with, you know, he has his farm in Prosser, mm -hmm. and we worked with another farmer, uh, Josh Hyatt, from the Whatcom Valley Farm uh, near uh, Chehalis. Oh, yeah. And so that's a, uh, a designated... Organic? Yes, yeah. organic. Okay. I, bi biodynamic, I oh, kept okay. thinking. Like, that's not the <laughs> that's right not word. Right. <laughs> yeah, so they're a certified organic farm, which is a big boon for them to be able yeah. to sell um, to the different markets and um, retailers as well as restaurants. And so that was kind of the starting point of it. We, you know, we work with Merlino that's been in the city for 100-some years, yeah. Frank's Produce from the market. Oh, yeah. And then... Our staple is really the small farms, and recently now a um, another company has made it very easy for these small farms to go and drop off at a singular spot. Oh, nice. And then they distribute it for a small fee. Oh, that's great. So we're able to use a lot of new farms to us, but 
I like the connection of getting the email from the farmer that says, you know, we had a flood or it's been dry. What's happening in the fields? These things are coming up. Yeah. And you just have like a nice connection. And then these people come that like picked all the produce. They washed it all. They drop it off in the restaurant. And you feel like a real yeah. connection with them as co-workers in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. And so, yeah, we strive for those connections with the farms. We've worked with Steel Wheel. Um, I've worked with them since 2016. Oh, wow. Uh, they're in Fall City, and we love local roots in Duval, although they've transitioned to a CSA now. Oh, okay. So it's good for... The, the normal, yeah, average the, Joe. The regular folk, and yeah. a little frustrating for us because we love the radicchio and carrots, but yeah, that's okay. Um, do you have anybody that grows stuff for you? Like a lot of... And you might have to be bigger. It might be bigger restaurants that are able to do that, but... We talk about that, and we'll go through the seed catalogs and things, but... Um, I'll ask for certain things, but I, we would never demand that the farm yeah. grows something. And mm-hmm. honestly, at our size, you know, we see right now, um, we barely see 30 people. Yeah. So for them to grow something for us, we just wouldn't be able to use it yeah. uh, or enough of it to make it yeah. economical for everybody. You know, it makes me wonder what's going to happen is, you know, uh, hopefully things the COVID whole thing dies down and we get back to somewhat normal. Are we going to be in short supply? Because right now people who use everything aren't using the volume they did. And if it just suddenly booms, cause people are ready to go out. I mean, people want to be out. Well, cause they've got to find other places to sell it since they're not selling it all to the restaurants. I feel like the farms have, uh, you know, they, the CSAs have been a great outlet for them. If they're able to yeah. get into different retail markets, that's another benefit. I think at this local level, we'll be able to see an increase in production without having too much difficulty. Oh, good. Um, but if we were buying from, say, California Growers Association, we might see issues or mm-hmm. like Pork Farmers USA, which I just made up. But, uh, <laughs> you know, these giant, giant groups will have a more trouble starting the wheels again i think yeah yeah i think i was thinking about this the other day i think one of the benefits that we have here in the puget sound region is that despite um issues with trucking and issues with uh, uh supply chain and all that we have a lot of growers who go to farmers markets Whatever they don't sell, they could pop by your place and maybe unload some of it with you. And there's so much local availability that we don't have the supply chain issues that might exist, say, down in Los Angeles. Sure. Or, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Las Vegas. Or yeah. 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 Even the Midwest. Let's let's all quit our jobs and go and build greenhouses in Las Vegas. <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, the other thing that you do that you don't see a lot around here is the different proteins. You, you do duck, bison, um, what are some of the quail, and you use heritage breed animals. Is that also just part of your learning over the years and how you got into the... Yeah, well, uh, beef has never really been an option for us. It would be a very special occasion type of thing. The production of beef is so incredibly wasteful, and I I can't feel good about buying butcher's cuts that show up in these cryovac bags yeah. that have possibly been frozen, and it's it doesn't feel like the right way to mm-hmm. 
to offer things. Uh, the bison is a nice alternative to that. We work with uh, Preservation Meat Collective, which goes to these tiny little farms and mm. then um, will butcher the animals carefully. They'll and be able to farm, not farm out exactly, but spread out the wealth of these um, kills to all the different restaurants. So you still mm-hmm. feel good and you're using as much of the animal, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's as close as we come to that sort of thing. Yeah. Typically, the ducks we get fresh, they fly up from California, uh, the heads are on, the feet are still on, wow. and so we're able to process them the way we like. Mm-hmm. And there's no waste. You know, we're able to use every bit of that for stock or for oh, fat wow. to cone fee or what have you. Yeah. Uh, and the pigs are basically the same way. We have several pounds of trim that's a loss. Um, and then the rest of that we're able to make stocks or use as different parts or little specials or mm-hmm. what have you. So that was really the big appeal is we're able to use all of these animals with no waste. We're able to butcher them ourselves. You're not getting pieces. So yeah. Yeah. with the heritage pork, how far away do you have to go to get that? So there are uh, Chehalis. There's a forest-raised um, hog farm. There's I can't think of another one that's also local. We typically buy from Pachamama Farm, which is in Douglas County, Oregon. Okay. Um, we like them. They're forest-raised hogs. They're fed from runoff from a local dairy and a local brewery. They send photos of all the pigs just living in the woods. It's oh, like nice. beautiful so the picture, farmland. Happy the pigs, pigs are appropriately inebriated as they forage <laughs> through the yeast and the grains and all that. Yeah, and then they're very careful about the way they slaughter them also, where they load them up early, they let every all the animals relax uh, yeah. a little bit, and they go through the process of that. Um, then they're aged to the correct pH, and then they ship them to us oh, wow. uh, right then. Yeah. So it's a special product, and that not everything is produced that way. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. And it, you know, you're you're going for a concept here. You know, you don't want to do one piece horribly and something else better. You want to be consistent. Yeah, we want to hit a consistent level of quality, and we want to have pride in what we're serving, mm-hmm. and we want to have pride and yeah. quality, really. Well, and I'm guessing that your average customer is there because of that. I think so, yeah. We're providing a, I think it's a good price point for the amount of effort we're putting into each of these dishes, just Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, we're butchering all of these animals and processing every bit of this meat ourselves. Um, You know, it's just me and two cooks, so (laughs) we're just a small crew uh, putting it together. That's a a nice way to live, I think. You also, um, is it completely wood-fired Oven or wood fire? Yeah, oven. Yeah, so or is it the uh, the oven itself is totally only wood fired. Um, the hearth is also wood fired. We use mm-hmm. apple wood uh, from a guy mm-hmm. near Yakima who goes to the different apple farms and then he ages all the wood and he drives it across for oh, us and wow. some other restaurants in town. And yeah, the oven was custom built on site, so we have um, as much floor space as possible. Some of the pre-built kits, uh, we would have just been pushed to a much smaller unit. Oh, okay. And, you know, when you go to like a wood stone, um, the oven maker wood stone, and oh, yeah. they'll argue forever that the gas-fired uh, oven is exactly the same as the mm-hmm. wood-fired one. That's their, they yeah. make a point to that. They'll have you come in and test it. 
<clears throat> but the reality is is that you can rake the coals out and you can set a pan on there and you can sear your little heart out. You can move the fire around. You can, there's so many more But you options. don't get the flavor of the wood in a gas-fired stove. No, and you don't get a ton of it oven. In, out of the oven anyway because the convection is happening so quickly. You know, it wraps across the top of the oven and then it comes out through the front. So there's mm. not as much exposure uh, yeah. to the smoke in the oven. But you have that high, high heat. You know, the fire itself is way over 1,000 degrees. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty much the best part. You know, it's up at seven or 800 degrees. You have the good convection going from it, and you're able to roast these vegetables deeply without, like, burning them. Yeah. Unpleasantly. And you get that caramelization and yeah you're able to bring all the sugars out <clears throat> excuse me and you still have a few of the little bitter notes from the char but that kind of helps the sugars yeah and yeah it works yeah. out really well oh that sounds great um you've got a buttered dungeness crab yeah. uh, over charred rice cake that gets a lot of talking about what what is it about that that just gets to people I think it's a comforting dish. Mm. That, that's really, I think, the simplest part of it. it. Warm crab soaked in butter on top of a rice cake that's just slightly smoky but has a little crispness and texture to it. <laughs> and then we have the crab broth, which is very punchy, mm. I think. It has a lot of salinity to it. It has a real ocean quality mm-hmm. and that kind of umami of... <clears throat> Just the all the crab shells yeah. reducing. Uh, so that's really the magic of it is that crab reduction. And then we use the fresh tarragon puree to liven everything back up. And yeah, it's just a... It does sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> what time do you open? Oh, five o'clock. <laughs> you know, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and this is just sort of a joke with us, but we want to personally thank you for putting sound abatement panels in the ceiling. We get so tired of going out, and Tom has hearing issues anyway, and so we try to sit next to each other, but even so, sometimes we can't even talk. That's Uh, why I'm the engineer on this show. (laughs) Because he has no hearing. (laughs) Is that something that you really, that was a big deal for you? Well, we hadn't thought about it. It wasn't part of the original design. But when we were in the space for construction, you could hear our voices booming Uh, always. And so we had already thought to put the pattern in the ceiling to kind of create a little, a a sense of comfort. The space isn't kind of lost around you. You have these barriers to fit inside. Mm -hmm. And so it was easy enough to fit the foam panels inside of those. Okay. And then that takes all those bouncing highs out of it, out of the space, and it makes it so much better. So much nicer. Yeah. The opening uh, shifts, we didn't have the panels in, and we had a full, completely full restaurant, and it was utter cacophony. Oh, no. (laughs) Very. It was way too much. So the the panels came about a week later, and we were happy to have them. No kidding. You know, it's hard on the people who work there, too. You go every day, and it's that loud. Yeah, and th- this way it's nice because the music can be at a good volume, and the restaurant is at a volume that feels energetic, but each table is able to have their own conversations yeah. comfortably. Yeah, and that's what you want. Yeah, that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, exactly. Tell us the address again. Or we're not at, again, but... Yeah, we're at 6414 32nd Avenue Northwest. Okay. So if you're near Golden Gardens Park, we're just up the hill from that. Uh, the Ballard Locks or the Nordic Museum. Right in that area. Yeah, 65th and 32nd Northwest. Perfect. I like that neighborhood, too. You watch the sunset off the park up there and then head down to dinner. 
Yeah, you can see uh, Sunset Hill Park is just about a 10-minute walk from us. Oh, nice. And also, if you stand in front of the oven, the wood-fired oven, and look down 65th, we can watch the sunset from right there. Oh, nice. <laughs> and the website is Samara? SamaraSeattle.com. Okay, S-A-M-A-R-A, Seattle.com. Exactly. That's it. Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed yeah, it. This has been fun. All right, we're going to be right back in a moment or so with a couple of tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Pogacha Restaurant and Bar, located on Mercer Island. Locally owned and operated since 1997, Pogacha offers unmatched Northwest cuisine with an Adriatic flair. Quality food prepared simply, freshly, and with care means every visit is memorable. Come revel in their relaxed atmosphere while enjoying hand-selected fish, brine chicken, and scratch sauces. More information is available online at pogacha.com. Hello, my name is Carrie. I live in Magnolia, and my favorite restaurant is Tavolata. Hi, this is Rusty with Rusty's Famous Cheesecake, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. On the Seattle Dining Show with publisher Tom Marin and senior editor Connie, that's me. And we are heading out at the end of the show, but as you know, we like to end the show with some tips. So, what do you have today? What are you thinking about? What do I have for a tip today? Yeah, you go well, first. We're talking about these little um, parfaits and things that I was making during my episodic episode. <laughs> And um, one of the things that I used a lot to do this is a small food processor. Uh, Cuisinart makes several kinds. They make a a hand blender you can buy that has a food processor attachment. That's what I use. Uh, My daughter uh, purchased a – basically it's like a little tiny food processor Mm -hmm. and you can can, uh, just push it, bop, bop. Bomb, yeah. It was it, it was a Cuisinart. Yeah, it was a Cuisinart. Yeah. I didn't I didn't I don't know why. I don't know if the blades weren't sharp or what. I didn't like that one as well as the one I have here at home. The one I have here at home seems to do a better job of chopping the food. It for didn't some chop reason. the apples up very well. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, um that's a really nice handy tool to have in the kitchen and I find I use mine so much right now, I don't even throw it in a dishwasher, I hand wash it, mm-hmm. dry it out so it's ready for the next meal. Because yeah. like, I only wash my dishes in the dishwasher like once every two weeks. So, uh, Oh, not oh, true. Maybe not. Okay. Not since you've been cooking more at home. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't have one, I, I highly recommend you get one. And then you get the uh, organic baby food cookbook and you start making yourself some nice baby food at home. Too. Yeah, good purees. Mm. Um, we also have those immersion blenders. And those I love too. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. We, we've done shakes and smoothies and all kinds of stuff with those. Yeah. Well, my tip was that I, I always laugh when I see these shows. Or, In fact, I think they were doing it someplace in Seattle, too, with restaurant chefs, where they say, they'll come into your house and they'll look in your refrigerator and they'll make a meal out of what you have. And I always think, oh, my God, I would fail epically at that <laughs> because, you know, 
I don't mostly I don't keep that much food because I never know if I'm going to be home or not. But I found that um, when I wasn't feeling well this month, and you you offered to go to the store for me, I I gave you a list of stuff that just happened to sound good to me. It didn't go together, mm-hmm. and and yet I went over a week without needing to get anything else. Yeah, I I did was I was able to mix and match and stuff. So if you're one of those people like me who says, "Oh, I could never just make something from what I have at home." Take another look. I think once you get used to cooking, you you sort of come up with things that you might not have come up with before. You know, I what I found is um, I tend to keep a pretty good amount of pantry staples in yeah. the house. Um, and as soon as they get low or I'm going to use the last bit, I always call it into my personal assistant and <laughs> tell my personal assistant that I want to add such and such to my grocery list. So I'm constantly keeping that pantry stocked. Yeah. And then uh, really it just comes down to having a couple of fruits and vegetables in the refrigerator and maybe a few proteins mm-hmm. and, and keeping those restocked. So things like bacon, I mean, you never should run out of bacon. You should mm-hmm. always have a couple of packages. And when you get down to the last one, you tell the personal assistant, put <laughs> bacon back. I got my grocery list, yeah. so you can keep that constantly stocked, and and then when you you know if you go south and you you get stuck at home sick, um, you've got stuff to keep you going, yeah. or or if someone's going to help you out, you just say hey yeah get me some apples and some oranges and some broccoli. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I did, I, I had made a chicken recipe, and the way the rest, and this was before, this was probably a month ago, they just said. Uh, Salt and pepper chicken and roast it for 20 minutes or something, you know, like chicken breast or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, that's interesting because I would do more normally, you know. Well, And so I thought, okay. So I just brined. I bought some chicken breasts. I had them in the freezer. I brined them and then just did that simple roast. It was, In fact, I didn't use salt even because I'd brined it. So I just put some pepper on it and roasted it. Mm-hmm. So then – I had some mole sauce, some jarred organic mole sauce. Yep. I had some barbecue sauce. I had made a kind of a mozzarella cream sauce, an Alfredo sauce that mm-hmm. I had put the excess in the freezer. So I had three different chicken dishes. Yeah. You know, so I'm just sort of agreeing with what you're saying. If you've got some protein and then a couple things like this, you know, I was able to. And last night I I bought some prawns at the store and just did them with garlic and butter and some um, white wine sauce. You know, just heat them up. They were cooked shrimp. And, you know, we do a lot of stuff with things that we have in our freezer. So, like, uh, for instance, today um, I wanted to make up uh, a package of bacon because I like to make bacon in advance and just throw it in the refrigerator. But I didn't have any that was thawed, mm-hmm. so I just pulled a package out of the freezer, stuck it in a pan with water, went and took my shower. When I came out to make breakfast, mm. it was all thawed out, and oh, I just perfect. put it and cooked it up in the cast iron pan, and bingo, had all my bacon. Yeah. So you wow. know, we we often think, well, you know, I've got I've got. Uh, uh, the adobo sauce frozen in the ice trays, and now I want to have it. But, uh, you know, you don't have to wait for it to thaw. And you yeah. could put it in a microwave and thaw it that way, or you could put it in a in a Ziploc bag and put it in some water and mm-hmm. go do some gardening and come back and you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. 
So It's easier than you might think. And I think what we're going to see come up here this year in Seattle Dining is a series of food prep articles that I'm going to put together oh, because great. I don't really find a lot um, in one place. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put together a series. Yeah, and once you start doing it, like you've been doing it for a while, you come up with your own tips. It's like, oh, this is what really worked well for me. Yeah, and, and there's cookbooks to talk about food prep, but they're really just talking about getting uh, food ready in advance, not talking so much about making a batch of this and freezing it exactly. and a batch of that. And we're going to go deeper and do that. So that, yeah. that'll be coming up. That'll be interesting. I'm glad you're doing that. All right. It is time to wrap up. Thanks for joining us on the February show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. All right, folks, dine well, dine often, and dine safe. We'll see you back here next month. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.